Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Damn Good Dogcast. I am your host, Dylan, and I'm here today with a special guest, Josiah. Hello, I'm Josiah. I'm a special guest, and I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here, Josiah. Um, the reason Josiah is here is because my other co-hosts don't know anything about soccer, and I really enjoy talking about soccer. So Josiah, excuse me, is here today to help me discuss some things going on in soccer here at home and around the world. So... Let's just go ahead and get straight into it. We're going to talk about some MLS. As we are from the Atlanta area, we're going to discuss Atlanta United predominantly. And boy, is it nice to see them winning again. Yes, Atlanta United are back. It's been a rough few years since probably 2019 was the last year we could really call ourselves successful. Uh, the team started off strong uh, coming into the league at 2017, making a decent run into the playoffs, which is you know an accomplishment for an expansion side. But in 2018, winning the MLS Cup really set them apart and set the tone and the bar high for future expansion teams coming to the league. Then in 2020, kind of fell off a cliff. 2021, kind of kept falling off a cliff. 2022, kind of got hit with so many injuries you couldn't count. And in 2023, it seems like our luck and our front office's decision-making is on the right track again. So we're winning. We got the best player in the league in Tiago Almada. We got some fancy footwork in Luis Arujo, and we got a nice prolific striker we just signed in Yorgi Yakumakis. It's definitely a very exciting time to be an Atlanta United fan. Yeah, I personally kind of stopped keeping track after we sold Miguel Amaron in 20... It was right after the 2018 season, right? Yeah. After we won MLS Cup. Yeah, so I, I still follow him, of course, at Newcastle, and we'll get into the Premier League later. But it, like I said, very nice to see Atlanta United winning again, and more specifically... Really nice to see them just absolutely throttling yeah. teams. We saw them dismantle Portland in a 5-1 win on Saturday night, correct? Yeah, it was a little bit of a poetic recap of the return form that we've had because the last time we played Portland at home was when we won the 2018 MLS Cup and we beat them in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So they came back to visit. First few games of the season, we've been strong, but it was kind of you know, questioning still whether we would be a title-contending team. And this seems like the type of performance that could really catapult the team onto the next level of really being respected as one of the best in the league again. Yeah, and the star of the night absolutely has to be Tiago Almada. Yeah. And you were actually there on Saturday, Josiah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you saw? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I saw a great crowd, which Atlanta has always had, even through the down years. We've always topped MLS in terms of attendance and the support that our fans have always provided. Our supporters section probably holds more people than most teams get in attendance in MLS. <laughs> uh, so that was always great. The atmosphere was high, uh, I don't know, high, hyped, hot. I don't know which one I was going for, but it was good. Uh, so we started off the game early. As I got to my seats, Portland had scored a goal, but it got ruled back for offsides, thankfully. So maybe that turned the tide in our favor. But over the entire night, Atlanta was just dominant from defense, taking the ball. Uh, Franco Ibarra, who's been a revelation this season in the midfield. In last year's, honestly, he was terrible, and I wanted him gone this offseason. But something has changed, and he's become a new player entirely. He was dominating the midfield, getting the ball, passing it forward. We were really working as an entire unit not a collection of players, which is something totally new for Atlanta. Since 2018, even in 2019, we were good, but it felt like that was probably individual skill. So uh, I believe the first goal was scored by Caleb Wiley, and then from there, the goals just didn't stop to the point where in the 75th minute, it was 4-1 to one in our favor. 
and it felt like the game was over and I didn't know what to do for the next 15 minutes. So it was just an entertaining night. Yeah, definitely. And I think probably the most extravagant goal of them all, well, not probably, it most certainly was yeah, that free goal. kick from Tiago Almada. Yeah, I was on the opposite uh, side of the stadium sitting with my dad. We both went to the game together. I was in section 118, but lining up for that free kick, I was watching him. I was like, I don't know if he can make it from there, but if anyone can make it, it's him. It was 32 yards out. It was perfectly in the top right corner. Nothing any goalkeeper in the world could have done about that one, and that really raised the energy going into halftime. And speaking about any goalkeeper in the world, I think it's pretty obvious to say that Tiago Almada is the best player in MLS right now. Yeah, I personally don't think it's very close, but um, there's going to be a bit of a bidding war in the summer transfer window. And for those of you who don't know soccer that well, the MLS, the, the majority of the season happens in the offseason for a lot of the big leagues. So while all of these teams in these big leagues are making their huge summer signings, they're stealing guys from MLS teams right in the middle of their season. And that is almost certain to happen to Atlanta United in the offseason with Tiago Almada. How much do you think Atlanta United could make off of Tiago Almada? Yeah, that offset transfer window is just an unfortunate reality, and I hope MLS eventually gets in line with the rest of the world. Uh, but when it comes to Atlanta United and MLS, they're no stranger to record outbound transfer fees. They've sold uh, Miguel Almiron to Newcastle United in 2019 for 26 million pounds, uh, actually dollars, not pounds. And then Pity Martinez, we sold to a Saudi Arabian club where he currently plays with Ronaldo, fun fact, um, for $18 million. But Almada partly due to inflation, partly due to changes in the transfer market in the last few years, and partly due to the fact that he's just a whole different animal type of player. I could see him going for anywhere around $40 million realistically. Which would absolutely shatter the former record from yeah, the Miguel Amaral almost transfer. doubling it. Yeah, so that's the level of player that we're deal- dealing with here, excuse me folks in Tiago Almada playing for Atlanta United. You don't see players like this come around in America very often, especially at this age. But another player who's even younger than Tiago Almada, who is really showing flashes of becoming something special, is Caleb Wiley. Yeah, so Caleb Wiley has been with Atlanta United since, uh, pretty much since anyone was with Atlanta United. He was in the first class of academy players. He came through the academy, came through the second team, Really impressed with the second team, not only with his talent and technical ability, also with his work rate and uh, willingness to work as a team with others. He earned his debut with the first team last season at the opener. I was also able to uh, attend that game in person, and he scored a goal, which was his only goal of the season, unfortunately. But that's not a reflection of the results of his season as a whole because he was able to start at left back, left wing back, left wing. He was just getting minutes constantly, and it's great for his development. He was dominating uh, some MLS veterans at times, and then this season it seems like he switched to an even higher gear where he scored two goals in Charlotte to get us the win, and then he scored a goal in uh, Saturday's game to cap off a good performance. He also has had assists. He can do it all. So, as you just mentioned, Caleb Wiley, exceptional player, Um Many people are touting Caleb Wiley as the next Alfonso Davies. And for those who don't know, Alfonso Davies may play at Bayern Munich in Germany right now, but they actually bought him from Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS. He is probably 
not not probably. He is the most notable MLS homegrown player ever. So for Caleb Wiley to be earning that kind of credit at this age is truly phenomenal. What do you think about that? Uh, well, that comparison, if I'm honest, I don't think he's the next Alfonso Davies just because he's a little bit of a different type of player. Alfonso Davies, his biggest characteristic that he's known for is his speed and physicality which is something that Wiley's not lacking in. But Wiley is a much more technical player, um, and he is a lot more defensively uh, capable. So he's not just going to go streaking forward and try to run past defenders and get a ball in for someone to score or score himself. He's going to be a well-rounded player on a team that works together and plays as a unit where he can track back and defend. He can go up. He can cross. uh, He can attack directly. He's got the footwork to take on defenders one-on-one. Uh, I don't think he's the next Alfonso Davies, and I'm not sure that it's fair to put the pressure on him, though I'm sure he can handle it. But he is certainly going to be a great export at some point in the next year or two for Atlanta United. I certainly agree with you, Josiah. He will be a great export when Atlanta United has the opportunity to move him here in the next few years. But when they move him, do you think he could be more expensive than Alfonso Davies when Bayern purchased him from Vancouver? Uh, the deal at the time was worth $13 million. It had incentives that would have cost up to $22 million. And let's be honest, I'm pretty sure he's probably accomplished yeah. all of those incentives by now. I think he's now. doing everything they want. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the base question would be, do you think Caleb, William, Caleb Williams, that he plays for USC, <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Wiley, excuse me, could potentially be worth $22 million? No. No? Just okay, yeah. flat answer? Uh, realistically, <laughs> no. Um, so Atlanta United last year actually also sold a promising left wing back who Wiley is filling his place. That was George Bello. He sold for around... Uh, it was a little under $4 million plus uh, sell-on fee. However, it comes out to about $4 million. He went to Armenia Bielfield, which was at the time in the Bundesliga, so same league as Davies. He did okay. Um, honestly, he picked a bad team to go to because they immediately got relegated. There wasn't much structure. Wiley is younger. He's faster. He's better on the ball. He's a better passer. Um, he's got more, I I would say he has a higher ceiling, um, but I don't think he quite meets that level that Davies was on or is on or has shown enough to justify that kind of fee. I would say you're looking at a fee somewhere between six and 10 million. So very respectable. And I mean, he's going to have a great future for the next decade or so. And it's going to be a great return for Atlanta whenever they do sell him for a homegrown but I don't think it's going to be at the level of Davies. Yeah, I certainly agree with you. I don't know if he, anybody from the MLS will ever be on the level of Alfonso Davies. It, it's honestly quite miraculous that Vancouver ever even had him in their grasp because it yeah. was inevitable that he would end up somewhere in Europe. But nonetheless, Caleb Wiley, very talented player, and we wish him the best in his career. He's still here. We're very excited to continue watching him play in Atlanta while we have him. So I guess let's get out of the Atlanta United discussion and let's just go into something more casual. Um, what is your favorite MLS stadium outside of the Mercedes-Benz? I mean, the Benz is the best. I mean, Well, yeah, there's no question about that. <laughs> it is the best. Um, okay, so uh, if I had one to visit, I would have to pick, probably have to visit LAFC because it's the only place that comes close to matching the atmosphere that Atlanta can do. Um, their supporter section is always cheering, always going, great energy. They've got a great product on the field. Uh, it's a beautiful stadium. 
Um, a runner-up might be FC Cincinnati. Uh, they just built a beautiful stadium. Uh, it's not huge. It's not huge, but it's pretty. Uh, it's highly technological. It's got that cool display on the outside. Their ownership's been committed to investing in the team, even though the first few years of their existence was pain. I have the utmost respect for Cincinnati fans. They finished bottom of the league four or five years in a row, and finally their patience is paying off because they've actually got a good team. And it's a great stadium, so I'd also love to visit there. I'd like to give a quick shout-out to Brandon Vasquez and Atlanta United homegrown. Absolutely. Playing in FC Cincinnati, doing very well there now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, d- I actually agree with you. I would really like to go visit FC Cincinnati because I've already been there. Um, I've, oh, nice. I've <laughs> been to that stadium. It's gorgeous. It looks very similar to um, the Allianz Arena in, yeah, it does. in right. Munich. Um, so the, the display on the outside and all the lights that change colors, it's really, really pretty. Driving through Cincinnati at night, it, it's in the middle of, like, a neighborhood. So if you're just driving on the interstate, like, say, 2 in the morning, like I do when I go to visit family up there, it's just this glowing ball in the middle of a bunch of houses. <laughs> so it's it's a bit of an eyesore, but it's also really pretty at the same time. Yeah. But um, another stadium that I personally would really like to visit would have to be St. Louis SC. I, yeah, that does look pretty. Their inaugural season, it's such a nice little, little being the key word, uh, soccer-specific stadium, and I don't know. To me, those smaller venues, although they don't pack as many people in, like Atlanta United, it's just a little different to me. It makes it feel super authentic, kind of like you're at a, like, not prem game, but like a championship. Yeah, or a like that grassroots game. level, the team's been there and is well-supported. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of English soccer, let's let's chat about some Premier League soccer. Um, pretty clear that Arsenal, at this point, eight points clear of City. Um, in my opinion, I think the league title is pretty much theirs. But do you think City could make a run here in the end? I think City could. I think if any team in the world could, it would be City. Um, Arsenal don't have the depth that City have. At least they don't have to go across as many competitions anymore. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't say it's over. I would say it's... sure Arsenal win the league. City do have a game in hand. Arsenal on 69 points. City on 61 points. And the schedule actually does favor City a little bit. Their schedule is a bit easier. So this title race could be a little closer than some people are expecting. But I certainly expect that Arsenal will go on and win the league. Um, and then one other thing that I want to mention about Arsenal specifically is that you, the Europa league loss to sporting and, in my opinion, it might have been a bit tactical from Mikel Arteta, considering that he knows his side isn't quite as deep as City, and he doesn't have the cushion that he would like in these last nine or ten games. So maybe losing to Sporting was done in an effort to salvage. Salvage isn't the right word. They're literally winning the league. But to kind of keep that cushion ahead of City in the league. Yeah, for sure. I think their supporters would definitely prefer a Premier League title over a Europa League title. Um, I don't think it was intentional, but I do think it was a result of the coach having to be conscious of, you know, uh, making sure he's got players fresh for all the games, as opposed to City, who also have a lot of games. They're still in the Champions League. However, when you've got your best player and you can have him on the field, he scored, or he scored uh, this last Saturday at least five goals in 60 minutes, and then... You can just sub him off, and he's still well-rested for the next game. It's kind of a different story than Arsenal, who don't tend to win by those blowout margins. Uh, yeah, and they don't have the depth, as you said. For those that don't know the man that Josiah is mentioning, that would be the great Erling Holland. Um, he is just he is something else, man. 
Yeah, he's always a joy to watch. He's just like this big physical run at you would be terrifying in your nightmares to be chasing you down because you would never run away kind of guy. He's a giant who just runs around, technical on the ball, just enough to get in position to score. He rarely takes more than two or three touches unless he's going to pass because he can just always finish perfectly off the first touch. It is literally, if Jason Tatum played soccer, it would be Erling Holland. It is just incredible. But let's move away from the title race, and let's talk about something that's almost as interesting at this point. The battle for the Champions League spots. You've got essentially five or six teams really battling for those last two Champions League spots. Yeah, definitely. You've got uh, Arsenal on top of Manchester City. They're pretty much guaranteed Champions League spots. I don't think they could possibly lose those. Uh, A little bit lower than that, you've got Manchester United, who's sitting at somewhere around 50 points, I believe. Um, They're in the third spot. So then that leaves currently Spurs in the fourth spot, which is the last Champions League spot. And Newcastle, Liverpool, and Brighton just below them, all fighting it out for that last spot or two. Um, Manchester United, I believe that they play Newcastle one more time. If Newcastle win that game, they can pull Man U down into that race to have to fight it out with everyone else uh, and open up another spot up for grabs. But unless that happens, I think it's going to be Spurs, Newcastle, Liverpool, or Brighton taking that last spot. And right now, I have to favor Newcastle. I am biased. I root for them because of Almiron from Atlanta. However, they have two games in hand over Spurs. I believe they have a head-to-head with Spurs. Liverpool have been Liverpool this season. Brighton have had too much instability to make a run. I really think it's going to be Newcastle in that fourth spot come the end of the season. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think the top three are pretty well set. United has played some incredible soccer this year under Eric Ten Hag. Um, City and Arsenal, as you mentioned, have pretty well secured their spots. So it really just leaves that last spot. And down the stretch, I think Newcastle has the advantage. Um, They have two games in hand on Tottenham, and there's only a difference of two points. So as long as they win both of those games, they're four points above Tottenham on the table, which puts them into that fourth spot. Um, Liverpool also has two games in hand on Tottenham, but Newcastle have a five-point gap on Liverpool at the moment. So unless Newcastle go into that form they were in a few weeks ago where it was draw, loss, loss, draw, loss, loss, where they just could not win a game, they would keep it tight. They just couldn't get the three points. Unless that happens, I do agree that Newcastle is going to get that Champions League spot, which would be the first time they've been in the Champions League in a very long time. Maybe I mean, before ever. I was born, so yeah, it, pretty it, sure. It, it might be ever. Oh, let's take a look at that. Yeah, a little live lookup. Um, so the last time Newcastle was in the Champions League, it wasn't even the Champions League. It was the UEFA Cup Winners Cup in 1998 and 1999. And so does it say how born. big the competition was at the time? It does not. I'm sure it wasn't nearly as big as it was today, where you had a round robin and then a knockout stage. Yeah, definitely. So. This would absolutely be the first time Newcastle's been in a part of highly competitive in the modern Champions soccer. League. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got to say, I'm pulling for them as well. They have one of our own in Miguel Amaron. So absolutely. Plus, <laughs> when's the last time Tottenham won any kind of race? Exactly. We, we don't like Should that. Should be in though. the bag. <laughs> 
Well, moving on from that Champions League spot, let's talk about the relegation battle, which shouldn't even really be news ever, but it is this year because you have nine teams at the moment who could reasonably finish in that bottom three. Yeah, you've got uh, Southampton anchoring the league. Uh, They've actually been decent at home, but that's the only thing they've been decent at. Uh, They've got a game in hand for Bournemouth uh, as well. So Southampton has played 28. Everyone else in this race, other than Everton, has pretty much played 26 or 27. So it's safe to say Southampton's going to go down. It's just a question of who's going to be joining them. You've got Nottingham Forest, who set a record by signing, like, I don't remember, something crazy like 24 players when they got promoted to the Premier League at the start of the season. So all that investment could be a waste if they go down. They're going to be doing everything in the power to stay up, but I'm not sure if they can. They've got the second lowest goal differential in the league, which is a good indicator of uh, how well teams are performing. It's your goals you've scored minus your goals that you've conceded. They have conceded 27 more goals than they've scored. Uh, The only worst uh, goal differential in the league is Bournemouth, who's sitting at second bottom. So if I had to bet, I would say Southampton, Bournemouth, and Nottingham Forest going down. I hate to say it, though, because, I mean, Forest, they've got... Great fans. It's huge for their team that they got promoted for the first time in forever, and it's just going to break their hearts if they go down again. It really is unfortunate to see Nottingham Forest sitting in 16th at the moment. Um, One of the talking points a few weeks ago was that Everton could very possibly be going down. And while it is still a possibility, I don't see Everton going down. Um, yeah, I think here in the last few weeks, they'll find a way to stay up. They, I don't see them finishing any higher than 14th where Leeds is at right now. They're actually tied on points. But like I said, I don't see Everton going down at all. They're a Premier League staple at this point. This is the worst they've been in a long time. Yeah, it seems like they just didn't really replace Richarlison when they sold him to Tottenham. And then they just sold Gordon to Newcastle. So maybe you could see some instability in their midfield. But yeah, realistically, I don't see them going down. Hopefully they can get that situation fixed in the summer. But um, one club that I'm rooting for in this relegation battle would be Leeds United. They have three Americans in their starting lineup, and of watching Americans play in the Premier League is always fun. It gives you the sense of American pride. Yes, because, um, of course, as Americans, we do everything better than anyone else, <laughs> which is why they're 14th in the league and Jesse Marsh got fired. But let's get past that. They're always exciting to watch them. They've got Brendan Aronson. They've got Tyler Adams. Uh, they've got... I mean, Adams has got to be one of the best defensive midfielders in the league, at least outside of, you know, the big five teams and maybe a couple others. I definitely agree. And then they've also just recently brought in Weston McKinney on low. Oh, I forgot about that. Juventus. I was trying to think who the third was. Yeah. So it, from what I hear, he's done all right since he got to Leeds. Clearly, he's made a difference because they've leaped from 18th up to 14th since his arrival. Uh Surprising to me, well, I can't say surprising to me, but West Ham sitting in 18th just seems a little low for them. They're typically a mid-table team, but not a bottom-of-the-table yeah, team. Yeah, and last season, if I remember correctly, I'm looking up, yeah, they finished 7th last season. Like, they are a very strong team last season. I don't know what happened there. I don't pay enough attention to them to know what happened. But, yeah, that's a big fall. Yeah, so West Ham sitting in 18th, Leicester in 17th. The gap from 20 all the way to 12 is just four points right now. Everyone's so, in the danger zone. So it is an incredibly tight relegation battle right now. But I'll get to my prediction for relegation. Southampton most certainly. Bournemouth most certainly. And then that last relegation spot, 
it's not going to be Leicester with a goal differential of minus nine. It just seems like they've been pretty unlucky. Um, I do. I gotta say, I think it's Nottingham Forest, which really, really sucks. It does suck, but hey, we gotta follow the stats, right? But I, I don't think they're gonna be down for long. To be completely honest, I yeah. think they'll be back very soon, as as soon as next year, really. They're, yeah, if they, they can keep their core squad in the championship, they should be right back up. Yeah. Um, so, well, speaking of West Ham and mid-table clubs, which clubs in the middle of the table do you expect to move forward next season, and which do you expect to fall backward? Let's let's not take too much of a look at Chelsea, I was considering about to say. they just spent like three hundred million. <laughs> I think it was six hundred million, but you know, well, so, double double yeah. what I had said. <laughs> yeah. So outside of that, it's hard to say because. Um, they're not really a mid-table team. I just don't know what's going on with them. Well, they fired Tuchel. That's what's wrong with them. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, Fulham, I think, is currently overperforming expectations. Brentford, uh, I mean, they were solid last season. I don't see it being sustainable to next season, though it's been a good run. I don't think they'll get relegated or anything. I think Brighton is a team that's already kind of overperforming everyone's expectations for this season, and they could continue that into next because... Not only have they lost their coach, not only is their second coach currently being like prospected as a replacement of the coach they lost at the team that is under them that he left them for, <laughs> and not only have they lost a great winger to Arsenal, and I believe it was Trossard, but they've kept up consistency through all that. Uh, they've only lost one of their last five games in the hardest league to play in in the world. I really think that they will solidify themselves as staying near the top of the table next season. Yeah, Brighton have certainly surprised me this season. Um they're, they currently sit on 42 points, and they have played the least games in the entire Prem at 25. So with three games in hand on some of the teams above them, they have an opportunity to finish at 70-plus points this season, which would be an incredible, incredible season for Brighton. And I do think that's sustainable. You have young talents like McAllister, most notably in the midfield, who just who's coming off winning a World Cup, and then you have one of the... Better defenses, really, in all of the Premier League, from what it looks like. Um, the only clubs who have allowed less goals than them sit just above them. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, so I do agree with you that Brighton is probably the mid-table club who can sustain this success. Well, let's move away from talking about boring mid-table stuff. Let's actually switch leagues and head over to La Liga, where we just recently saw an El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Yeah, so that was on Sunday. Barcelona had a nine-point lead over Madrid in the standings in first and second place, and that was really Madrid's last chance to grab it and make the title attainable for them. They lost. Uh, their only goal was one of the craziest own goals that I've seen uh, that a Barcelona defender scored off of a Vinicius Jr. cross that was pretty much parallel to the goal line, but somehow it made it in. Uh, Barcelona fought back hard in the second half and scored two to take home the win. They are now 12 points clear with only a few games left in the season. I don't see Madrid coming back from that one. I'd have to agree with you. I think the league is pretty well in Barcelona's hands, and there's really just not much anybody can do about it. However, Real Madrid do look very strong in Champions League play. Yeah, their fans will not be too disappointed about the La Liga loss as long as they take home their, what, 14th Champions League? It's, I mean, they're always the favorites. I don't understand the consistency. Uh, it's going to be them, Manchester City, maybe Bayern. One of those three is probably going to take home the trophy. I'd have to throw Napoli in there as well out of the Serie A. I think Napoli, as young as they are, have are just playing phenomenal soccer right now. But 
I agree with you that the other three favorites would have to be Real Madrid, Bayern, and Man City. Nobody even comes close to them. Uh, that's that's a quick look into La Liga. Let's move on to probably the most entertaining league right now in terms of a title race, which is very surprising because Bayern Munich seems to win the Bundesliga every single year and nobody comes decade. close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this year we have a bit of a title race on our hands. And actually Dortmund is leading the league with uh, under 10 games left in play. Yeah, so it's a rarity. Um, so the last time someone else won the Bundesliga was before I really followed soccer. Um, usually it's Bayern with Dortmund in a reasonably close second place, but not realistically close second place. This year, what made it interesting really was Union Berlin coming out of nowhere early on and taking the lead in the table uh, and not just fading away after a few weeks, but they've stayed in there. They're in third place right now, uh, neck and neck with Bayern and Dortmund. Uh, they seem out of reach of the title unless something happens, but they are solidifying themselves as a Champions League contender, and Dortmund seem to have a hold on the title at the moment that I think they can hold as long as they don't trip over their own feet, but... They have a reputation for consistency. Like, they lost Holland to City last season. They've still been going strong. They lost uh, Holler temporarily as he was battling cancer, but now he's back and doing okay. Uh, they've got Gio Reyna. He doesn't seem to have been phased by his parents <laughs> causing controversy at the <laughs> World Cup. That was kind of crazy. Uh, Bayern is scary. You definitely can't say the result right now. They've got a deep squad. They're a well-drilled squad. I think they're going to be focusing on the Champions League. That might be Dortmund's best hope. Um, Bayern actually lost yesterday to, I believe it was uh, sixth place. I don't remember. What team was it? Looks like it was, uh, where are we? Leverkusen. They yeah, lost Bayern Leverkusen. So that put points right in front of Dortmund. Uh, that gave them the lead. Yeah, it's Dortmund's lose. They've lost it the last decade, but it looks like they might not. And if not, Union Berlin could also come out of nowhere. This may be Dortmund's best chance to shed that, the shed, excuse me, to shed that feeder club tag that they've kind of earned. As most notably about Dortmund, they tend to send some of the world's best players to all of these just massive clubs. Most of the time, it's Bayern, but most recently, you've seen um, Holland actually go from Dortmund to Man City. Um, almost yeah, Pulisic, yeah. Pulisic goes to Chelsea. Captain America. <laughs> Gio Reyna will eventually leave Dortmund, but he's not even starting right now. But. Yeah, and right now you've also got a uh, Jude Bellingham is their guy who's going to yes. leave this off season and don't know where he's going. Uh, maybe Liverpool, maybe somewhere like that. I don't know, but he's also got it. They're great at producing phenomenal talent. Absolutely, and Jude will most certainly be a one hundred million dollar transfer at least to whoever. He's English, so like if he goes to the Prem. There's that premium because they got to have their domestic player quota, so that jacks up the price as well. Exactly. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Damn Good Dogcast. Thank you, Josiah, for coming on and talking soccer with me for a little bit. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, and we will see you guys next time.